Hey friends, welcome back to the Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I'm your host for this podcast, and I want to thank you for joining with me for this week's message. Today we are looking at the life of Eric Little. Most people know him from the movie Chariots of Fire, which described how he won a gold medal in the 400-meter dash at the 1924 Paris Olympics. But most people don't know the story of his life leading up to the Olympics and the story of his life as a missionary to China after the Olympics. It's a remarkable story, an incredible life that helps us understand how we can live out our faith in Christ in the midst of some very challenging circumstances today. I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect on this message on the life of Eric Little. When the hit movie Chariots of Fire was released in 1981, it introduced people to Eric Little, who was known as the Flying Scotsman. Eric Little won the gold medal in the 400-meter dash in the 1924 Paris Summer Olympic Games. But that was just a brief snapshot of his entire life that was lived in service to Jesus Christ. Eric Little was born on January 16, 1902 in Tianjin, China, where his parents were missionaries with the London Missionary Society. When Eric was five years old, the family returned to their native Scotland on furlough. Before returning to China in 1907, his parents enrolled Eric and his brother in the School for the Sons of Missionaries just outside of London. In those days, missionary parents routinely left their children behind for seven years when they returned to the mission field. But Eric's mother couldn't bear the thought of leaving her two young sons for so long. So she stayed in Great Britain for another year to make sure her boys would be happy at school. She left the next year for China. When her ill health and a need for surgery brought the family back to England six years later, Eric and his brother were overjoyed to see their family again. Both Eric and his brother excelled in sports as teenagers. In his senior year of high school, Eric won the coveted Blackheath Cup, which was given to the best all-around sportsman in the school. He was also named captain of the rugby team. He graduated in 1920 and then entered the University of Edinburgh, where he studied physics and chemistry while also competing in track. He won race after race in the 100 and 220 yard dashes, attracting a lot of attention in the press. In April of 1923, Eric received his first invitation to speak publicly about his faith in Christ from the Glasgow Students Evangelistic Union. Eric did not like public speaking and worried that he would fail and embarrass himself. 
but his sister Jenny encouraged him to do it. She sent him a note with Isaiah 41.10, which says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. When Eric arrived at the meeting, he found some 80 coal miners waiting to hear him talk. He wondered why anyone would want to come and hear him speak. But everywhere he went, huge crowds showed up to listen. Because he was a famous athlete, people showed up who might not otherwise have been interested in religion. Eric joined the Oxford group, which was a group from Oxford University that urged Christians to surrender completely to God each day and live by the four absolutes. Absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. They urged everyone to have a daily quiet time to read the Bible, pray, and listen for God's leading. <clears throat> Eric would do this for the rest of his life. In the movie Chariots of Fire, it showed a race he ran in July of 1923, where Eric got knocked down at the start of a quarter-mile race. At the level of competition, even fractions of sections can determine the winner. Anyone who was knocked down was simply out of contention. But even though he was 20 yards behind, he miraculously came back to win the race before collapsing after crossing the finish line. Reporters asked him how he was able to win. He said, the first half, I ran as fast as I could. The second half, I ran faster with God's help. But he had pushed himself so hard to win that he damaged some muscle tissue and had severe headaches for days afterward. The race took so much out of him that he didn't win another race for the rest of that summer. His best race was the 100-meter dash. But he learned in the fall of 1923 that the race at the 1924 Paris Olympics would be run on a Sunday. But Sunday was the Sabbath and the day of rest. He believed God did not want him to run on Sunday. He would not compromise and did not hesitate to make the decision. The British Olympic Committee was outraged and flabbergasted. They did not want the misguided fanaticism of this overly religious young man to ruin Scotland's chance for national glory. They used every means necessary to change his mind. The heat wouldn't take place until the afternoon, which would give him a chance to go to church Sunday morning but Eric wouldn't budge. They lobbied the International Olympic Committee to change the day for the race, but they would not budge. Many of Eric's fellow Scotsmen were mad at him for his decision. They felt he had betrayed his country. 
they thought he was taking his faith too far and that he was insane. Everyone assumed he would eventually come to his senses and change his mind. He never did. Instead, Eric made the decision to try out for the 400-meter dash. It was not his best race, and he was not favored to win the gold medal. So many people were disappointed and upset with him. When he arrived in Paris for the Olympics, the favorite won his heat with a time of 47.8 seconds. Eric won his heat with a time of 48.2 seconds, four-tenths of a second behind the favorite. And then when they drew their lanes for the final race, Eric was placed in the outside lane, which is the worst lane to run in because you can't see where the other competitors are in comparison to yourself. Nobody thought he would win. But as he left his hotel to go to the race that morning, a stranger gave him a piece of paper. The paper said, it says in the old book, him that honors me, I will honor. Wishing you the best of success always. It was from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. It was an encouragement that he had made the right decision. When the gun sounded, Eric started as fast as if he was running the 100-meter dash. People knew there was no way he could keep that up for all 400 meters. But halfway through the race, he was ahead by three meters. Miraculously, he hung on to win the gold medal by five meters over the second-place competitor. The stadium exploded with surprise and joy. He had won a gold medal for the UK and for Scotland. He ended up setting a new world record with a time of 47.6 seconds. He had done what nobody thought he would do. If you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire, you know that Eric Little skipped the 100-meter dash because it was run on Sunday. But what most people don't know is that he also gave up running the 4 by 100 meter relay and the 4 by 400 meter relay, whose events were run on the following Sunday, July 13th. On that day, Eric was preaching from the pulpit of the Scots Kirk in Paris to a large and admiring congregation. Following his stunning Olympic victory, Eric stunned the world again by announcing that he would stop running altogether. Instead, he would go back to China as a missionary. So many people were disappointed in him, but he was excited about the greatest adventure of his life. He would teach science, math, and sports at the Anglo-Chinese College in Tianjin. The missionary purpose of the college was to bring the gospel to the sons of wealthy families in the hopes of influencing China's future leaders. So he studied theology for a year in Edinburgh, 
and was deluged with invitations to speak about his faith in Christ. He taught Sunday school classes and preached in worship services. In 1925, Eric boarded the Trans-Siberian Railroad for China. When he arrived, he was greeted by his parents, his sister, and his brother, who were so excited to be reunited with him again. Eric began teaching at the college and quickly became a popular member of the staff. He taught science classes, Sunday school, Bible studies, coached soccer, and helped with the drama productions. He also learned the Chinese language. He found himself attracted to the daughter of another missionary family. Eric was 10 years older than Florence, but they started spending a lot of time together. In 1929, when he, she finally turned 18, <coughs> he proposed to her. Her father agreed to let her marry him, but only after she first returned to Canada to receive her training to become a nurse. This meant a three-year separation for them. This would be the first of many long separations in their life together. In 1931, after completing his first four-year commitment in China, Eric traveled to Canada and spent four weeks visiting Florence in Toronto. Then he sailed across the Atlantic back to Scotland, where he spent his furlough studying at the Scottish Congregational College. But the London Missionary Society was deep in debt due to the Great Depression. So they sent Eric all over the country on speaking engagements to raise money for their missionary work. Eric was finally ordained as a minister on June 22, 1932. After saying goodbye to his family who were on furlough in Scotland, he boarded a ship for Canada for another visit with Florence. After a few joyful weeks together, he set sail once again for China. It would be another two years before Florence came to China. On March 3rd, 1934, they were finally married. Two years later, they had their first daughter, and the following year, they had another. In 1937, Japan attacked China as World War II was heating up, and life became difficult. The Japanese army committed many atrocities against the Chinese citizens. Once, while trying to relieve the severe coal shortage, Eric contracted for 60 tons of anthracite and planned to deliver it himself by barge. Twice on the journey, he was attacked and robbed by armed thieves and detained for two days by the Japanese. Raging military groups forced him to pay exorbitant taxes. With his money exhausted, he had to return home. After a mutiny and an interrogation by members of the communist army, he and the coal finally reached their destination. Once, Eric took part in a baptism service as Japanese artillery shells pounded down around them 
and soldiers burst into the building. Another time, Eric rescued a man who had been shot and another who had almost been decapitated in an attempted execution by the Japanese. On another trip, he was shot at himself. In August of 1939, he and his family were able to escape the war by going to Toronto on furlough. Because Hitler's U-boats had made crossing the Atlantic so dangerous, Florence and the girls decided to remain in Canada, while Eric traveled alone to Scotland and England. They were able to join him there one year later. But when they returned to Canada six months after that, a German torpedo struck their ship. Fortunately, it was a dud, and they survived unharmed. The Germans managed to sink five of the 50 ships in their convoy. Even though the situation in China was dangerous, they felt called to return, and so they did. They saw the destruction from the Japanese who had killed men, raped women, and burned homes. People were in shock, and Eric was challenged to try to minister to them. Pregnant with their third child, they decided that Florence and the girls should return to Canada, which they did. When they boarded the ship, they did not know that that would be the last time Eric would ever see his family. After the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, they did not allow the missionaries in China to teach, preach, or practice medicine. In March of 1943, all foreigners, including Eric, were sent to an internment camp. They were sent on an exhausting journey of 300 miles. They were put in a building without water and with filthy latrines. The conditions were deplorable. But Eric taught at the camp school, organized softball, basketball, cricket, and tennis games. He planned worship services, organized square dances, and played chess with the kids. No matter how busy he was, he never neglected his daily quiet time with God. Every morning, he and a friend would get up early and have their devotions together by the light of a peanut oil lamp. In late 1944, in their second year at the internment camp, Eric developed terrible headaches. He picked up a flu virus. Some thought he was suffering from depression, and doctors wondered if he had had a nervous breakdown. On February 11, 1945, he suffered a minor stroke. Doctors wondered if he had a brain tumor. On Sunday, February 18th, he slipped into a coma and died that evening at 9.20 p.m. He was 43 years old. When the news of his death traveled around the camp, the internees were grief-stricken. He was known not because of his Olympic achievements, but because he was Eric. He had been a friend to everyone. 
The church was not big enough to hold everyone who wanted to attend his funeral. <clears throat> an autopsy later revealed that he had had an inoperable brain tumor. The news of his death came as a great shock to his wife and his daughters in Canada. At Scotland's Morningside Congregational Church, where Eric had taught, and at the Dundas Street Congregational Church in Glasgow, thousands of mourners gathered to honor his life. The Glasgow Evening News said that the man who put God before a gold medal did Scotland proud every hour of his life. In 1980, 56 years after Eric Little won his gold medal, another Scot, Alan Wells, won the 100-meter dash at the Moscow Olympics. He dedicated his gold medal to Eric Little. 63 years after his death, just before the Beijing Olympic Games, the Chinese government revealed something that his family had never known. Eric had been included in an exchange deal between Japan and Britain, but had given up his place to a pregnant woman. Eric Little is not remembered today because he was the fastest runner in the world in his event at the 1924 Olympics. He is remembered today because he did not consider his fame and glory as important as remaining true to his principles. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's what Eric Little showed us how to do. God had a bigger plan in mind for his life than just winning a gold medal. God has great plans in mind for every one of us. Eric followed God even when it involved pain, suffering, and long absences away from his family. He did not have an easy life, but he lived an impactful life. He made a difference by doing the simple things God called him to do every day. His life story reminds us that sometimes God's plan for our lives involves pain, suffering, and long absences from the people we love. But like Eric Little, we can also make a difference by doing the simple things God calls us to do every day, even in the face of great opposition. So throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you, and run with perseverance the race God has marked out for you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. God bless. Stay safe. See you soon.